0: All right, if you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open up to the book of Joel. The book of Joel is one of those small books that's difficult to find in the Old Testament. So if you go to the book of Daniel, and uh, right after the book of Daniel is the book of Hosea, which is 14 chapters, and it's the beginning of the minor prophets. And right after the book of Hosea is the book of Joel, and uh, there's only three chapters. And I thought we would start a small series going through the book of Joel. And uh, and and read and just kind of going through uh, it. It is a, certainly an interesting book to study, and uh, and something that is uh, really refers to the end times. Uh, but in it, while it's referring to the the end times, uh, there's so much reference to it that is so good. One of the things about prophecy is that. Uh, prophecy deals with something that's going to happen right then and there, very soon, and oftentimes it is as so, foretelling a future event. So it will tell of something. For example, they'll talk about judgment that is coming and a famine that's coming and and uh, or or already happened. But in dealing with that, it will also foreshadow things that are to come. Sometimes it will foreshadow a a future judgment that is coming uh, soon, and then many times it will also reference the end times. And so kind of a dual prophecy uh, and and dual meanings that are in there. And because of that, I'll be honest with you, um, sometimes prophecies are difficult to see all the connections. And uh, I'm a very concrete kind of fella. Uh, And uh, I don't deal well with abstract. Um, And so sometimes those are abstract things that are, for me are difficult for me to see. Uh, I don't always see them, and uh, because I'm such a concrete fellow, I drive right over them and don't even uh, realize that they're there many times, but they are there, and they are subtle, but there's definitely a referral and a connection to future times and future events. So as we go through this, um, there will be certainly a lot of things that will, uh, will point to end times, as well as things that are uh, even really applicable for us for today. Uh, and that's what I, I like to get out of them. I like to get things that are good for us right here and right now and, uh, and something that can help us in the time and day and age that we live right now. So Joel chapter number one. And uh, let's just read the first few verses here and kind of get the scope of what's going on. And uh, then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll get further into the book. Joel chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land, Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the Palmer we le, that which the Palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he hath the te- cheek teeth of a great lion. And he hath laid my vine waste and barked, my fig tree, and hath made it clean bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Let's stop right there and uh, and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. And God, as we look to study the book of Joel this morning, God, I pray that you'd give us open eyes, open ears, open minds, open hearts, Father, to hear uh, the word of God and hear what the spirit says to us. And God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray that you'd speak through me. And God, I pray that we'd be open to your word. And, uh, and Father, we'll thank you for that. God, help us to grasp, learn, and understand all that's written here. And uh, God, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As I said, that uh, Joel is a very prophetic book, and uh, and looking here, there uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of picturesque uh, views that are, are going on here. Most prophecy in the Bible is is this. It is a thus saith the Lord. In other words, the Lord would speak to them directly, uh, and God gives direct revelation uh, to the prophet of Joel, for example, in this book. And, uh, and it's usually relevant to their lifetime. And as I said before, it's also a foretelling of some future event that is going to come. Uh, and really, it, it amazes me, to be honest with you, that God's Word is amazing. And, and God is marvelous in the way that he can communicate uh, things that are taking place right now and yet foreshadow and foresee things that are to come. And then even beyond that, things that will come uh, even in the future. It really is a, a wonder and a marvel at how wonderful God is at being able to uh, lay things out clearly in his word. And, uh, and as I said, because of the nature of foreshadowing, sometimes it's easy to uh, f- miss a lot of the references and not see them because many of them are indirect. And, uh, and so uh, I'll say this too, that oftentimes, uh, we, we say oftentimes at my house at least, uh, that hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, In other words, looking back, it's easy to see. Here's an illustration, I guess, that we can look at. Uh, It's easy for me to dig through the Old Testament and find references to the prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ when he would come and when he would be born. Because we're looking back at it. We're looking at the fact that, hey, Jesus has already come to the world. He was already born. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin. He was born in, and we know these things. So we're looking back and we're saying, oh, look, those prophecies all tied to this event in this time. But if we lived on this side of the birth of Jesus Christ, and we knew that, hey, there was a promised Messiah that would come, but we did not know when he would come. We're looking forward and we're saying hmm, I wonder when this is going to be. And, and some of the common prophecies that we look at, Isaiah 9-6 uh, and Micah 5-2 and some of the others, that point distinctly to the birth of Christ. As if, if we're lo- living on the other side of it, before Jesus had been born, we're looking forward, scratching our heads, saying, hmm, I'm not sure how to put all this together. Um, because that's the nature of prophecy. And so I hope that helps you understand at least a little bit. And there are some prophetic things. It's easy to look back and say, oh, that definitely refers to this. That definitely refers to that. But when we're looking forward to end times, sometimes it's difficult to say exactly, well, it's this or it's that, uh, because we do not quite uh, see all of that. And so again, as I said before, our goal in looking at the book of Joel is not necessarily to pull out every single prophetic reference. There probably will be—I can almost assure you—there will be some prophecies uh, that I will miss and that I, I will forego. Uh, but I would like to get out of the book of Joel something that is good for us, for the here and for the now. Uh, I, I love—it's—it's it's good to understand what's coming, but in my mind. Um, Boy, we need need something from the word of God today that will help us. And there is a lot in the book of Joel that will help us and can help us if we'll look at this. So the first couple of verses as we look at this, uh, I want you to notice uh, the locust. We saw that in verse number four. um, He says there in verse number four, again, let's go back and read it. Uh, He says, well, actually, let's go before we get to the locust. Let's go right to verse one because we can't we can't skip to verse four. There, I'm going to cover that at the end. But uh, in in the locust, we have the introduction to the book of Joel, and uh, and so in that first verse, he says this. He says, "The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel." Um, now we have uh, his authority. I love the fact that this book opens and says. The word of the Lord. He was not speaking. Joel was not speaking off the top of his head. Joel didn't have a, a, a piece of uh, pizza with uh, some kind of crazy mushrooms on it on Saturday night and go to bed and then have a vision that night and said, well, you know, I had a vision and let me tell you about that vision. No, he was definitely speaking from something that came from God. And God did sometimes use in the Old Testament visions to speak to his people, but it was definitely sure that it was from God. And sometimes God would speak audibly uh, to the prophets and, uh, and things of that nature. So God communicated to those prophets and they would always stand up and they would reference, hey, thus saith the Lord. And it was a distinction saying, this is not Joel speaking. I'm not just talking about how the crops are doing today and what the stock market's doing and, and, uh, and what, uh, this is, how this is going on or what the weather is. He's saying, listen, I have a definite word from the Lord and this is what it is. And so his authority is not based on himself, but rather based on the fact that, hey, God spoke to me and God has given me something to give to you. And let me just say this because of the day and age we live in. Um, we God does not speak to us audibly or through visions today. And I just want to say that to be clear, because there are so many crazy thoughts and ideas that float around out there. Uh, And the reason I say that is because, listen, today we have the completed word of God. He does not need to speak to us in visions. Matter of fact, it, it's kind of funny, but people are like, they're, they're, they're wandering all over looking for God. If you would just take the plain word of God that he's given us, he's given us enough right here that you could spend your entire lifetime studying what he's given us and, uh, and still fall short. Uh, of of totally understanding and un- understanding who God is and where God is and all of those things. So so He has given us His completed Word. They did not have the benefit of having that in that day, and so God would speak through a prophet. and uh, And Joel is speaking from the authority of God. Not only that, but I, I find it interesting here uh, his not only his authority but also his acceptance. Um, Look again with me in verse number one. It says this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. Now, Joel wasn't out there saying, now God, i got to have something from you and, and, uh, and I want a I message from you. No, uh, God came to Joel and said, hey, Joel, I've got a message for you that I need you to deliver. And so Joel, uh, he accepts that message. Listen, when God comes to us and he wants us to do something, oh, that we would be as accepting to God's will as Joel was. You remember Jonah in the Old Testament. He was not so accepting of God's will. He was not so accepting of God's message. Matter of fact, he ran from it and he did not want to give the word of God. And so we see here that Joel not only spoke with the authority of God, but he accepted the message that God gave him and he was willing to give that out to other people. So we can see his authority, we can see his acceptance, but I want you to see as well his ancestry. Just real quick, we'll not spend a lot of time here. There's really not much known of Joel. Matter of fact, uh, it's kind of confusing, and you have to clarify in the Bible when you're talking about Joel, because there are 13 other Joels in the entire Bible. Imagine that. Um, And and so it's kind of like, you know, if we were to throw some common names out today, like uh, Bob or... uh, I, I almost said Jerry. That's not a common name. Um, just lost my uh, Tom. I can't, now I can't think of him. I had some names. But uh, John, that's what I was trying to think of. John is a common name, and some common names, Mary, and, and, and things like that, that are just they're, they're common names. Joel was a common name in that time. Matter of fact, the only thing that really separates this Joel from all the other Joels of the Bible is the fact that it names his father there. In verse number one, it says, Joel, the son of Pethuel. Now, what do we know about Pethuel? Absolutely nothing. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. And, uh, and the only thing that really helps us is the fact that it distinguishes this Joel from all the other Joels in the Bible so that we don't get him confused with this Joel or that Joel. And so it really sets Joel apart as an individual, as his own person. And, uh, and really, there's not much that we can say about the life of Joel. We don't know where he grew up. We don't know the time frame he lived. The only thing we really know about him is that his father's name was Pethua. Now there's greater minds out there than mine that have strived to put a date on and put a place on because one of the things that's really important, I believe, in looking at the Bible and looking at many things, it's always relevant to say, when when was this given? And that's important to know the time frame. You know what? What had taken place in history? What? What point of time do they fall on the historical timescale? And, and then to whom was it given? Because that's important as well. Was this given to uh, to Judah? Was this given to Jerusalem? Was this given to the Philistines? Was this given uh, to uh, the Assyrians or, or others? And and those others, I'm just kind of throwing out. We know that they probably were not given to them. Uh, but uh, but those things are important. To whom they were given and when they were given, and uh, and we really don't have a lot of information to go on uh, other than what is written in the book. And uh, it's widely believed that it is written uh, to Judah and uh, and to to that area uh, in Israel. And so I just want to point that out. So that's our introduction. Uh, But look at verse number two, we can see the instruction uh, that was given. Look at what he says there in verse number two. He says, hear this, Ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And in the instruction, we can see the people, first and foremost, he starts off, it's all inclusive. He says, He says there, the second phrase, all ye inhabitants. And listen, this is for everyone that lived in that area. He said, listen, it's important. This is for the men, women, boys, girls, uh, the elders, uh, the, 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 all, all the people that lived uh, in that area. This, this was a message to all people. But I want you to notice as well in verse number two that he singles out the older men, he says. He says, hear this, ye old men. And, uh, and I think there's some relevance to that. I think he's calling out the leadership of Israel being the elder men. Uh, and there was much respect given in Bible times to the elder men for the wisdom that they would have in the years that they had lived on the land. But they were also expected to be kind of a leadership that people would look up to the elder congregation and to the elder people to see something, uh, to, to get rather wisdom from years of life. And listen, that's a biblical concept, matter of fact. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1, he said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. And the idea is that, hey, that they would be an example to the younger generations that would come after them. And so he's kind of saying here in Joel chapter uh, 1 and verse number 2, he's saying, listen, uh, listen, the older generations of Israel, hey, it's important for you to hear this message and understand where we are at. And he calls him out directly. And he calls out all the people And so uh, that's interesting and that's important. Look at verse number two as well. He says this, the second half, he says, Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Not only do we have the people that he called out, but we have the pondering that he calls them to. Hath this been, he says. He said, has it ever been like this before? You know, it's good it's good to learn history. I'll be honest with you, I didn't do very well in history. I didn't think it was that important when I was in school. And, and I did not like to read. I'd rather go tear something apart and do something and put it back together than to read. I just, that's just who I am. And so I, I struggled with history. But that one thing that we can learn from history... He said, we really don't learn from history. That's why it repeats itself over and over and over again because we don't learn the first time around and it's bound to repeat itself because we don't go back and learn what took place. And so what he's saying in verse number two there, he's saying, hey, has this ever taken place in your day? You know, there's a lot of heritage that's kept in the years of wisdom that man lives on the earth if he pays attention to what's going on. I was thinking the other day as I read this and I was thinking about, um, you know, what's probably one uh, one of the most significant events in our country. One of them, there's been many, no doubt, but one of them I thought was, you know, the Great Depression and how that impacted our country. And I thought... You know, there's really not many people alive that lived through the Great Depression that could tell us about it. I thought, you know, it happened in 1929, 1930. If they lived uh, lived to tell about if they lived through it, you know, and right now they were 90 some years old. I'm not good with math on the fly. They would have been zero in the Great Depression. So they would have zero memory of it. One, two, three. You really would have had to been 10 years old, 11, 12, 13 to remember it and really have an impact and be able to pass any information down. And now you're talking 100 years old, 101, 102 years old, 103, 110 years old uh, that would have remembered that. And, And most of those people are gone. They're not here. Uh, And now there might be some, uh, a few, but what he's saying is, hey, look back over your life and remember the days and remember some of the things that have taken place. And he's saying, this is important. Have any of you, he's saying, ever seen something of this uh, uh, of this gravitude, of this uh, of this disastrous that has taken place? And he's asking them uh, to personally look at it. Maybe it's a personal level. Maybe it's a congregational level. Maybe it was just uh, for, for their tribe. And he's saying, hey, is anything like this taking place in your tribe or in your family or in your personal life? And then not only that, but maybe on a national level. Hey, has Israel ever saw something that has been uh, this, this disastrous? And so he's asking them to ponder on that. But not only that, in verse number three, we can see the propagation because look at what he says. He says, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And he's saying, listen, this is so important and this is so significant that this event needs to be passed down from generation to generation. They need to learn history. Um, One time I was studying and uh, I, I, I find it interesting to put timelines together. And so uh, I actually I still have it in my office. I, I still will refer back to it. But I put together a chart from the time that, that, that um, Adam was put on the earth, that he was created. And then we don't know what date that was, but we'll call that date zero, okay, uh, because it was the beginning of time. And then when he died, we do know that because the Bible tells us that. And then there's many people, it says, and they were born and tells you the time and then it tells you when they died. And there's some things that you can calculate. So I, I put together a chart of, of the fact Adam's life and how long it was. And they were 900 years. And uh, you say, Pastor, do you believe that? Yes, I believe those were 900 literal years that he lived. And so he would live that much time on the earth and then uh, somebody else would be born. And basically I, I drew that out till, till the flood. And basically, I got to the idea uh, that Noah himself could have, and I don't remember exactly, so don't take my word. you have to go home and build your own chart and figure it out, okay? But, uh, but, but Noah basically could have talked to uh, his great-great-great-great-grandfather because they lived so long, who would have talked to his great-great-great-great-grandfather that would have known Adam. So it was only like third time around. You see what I'm saying? It was not. Though many years had passed, uh, the fact is history lived on in the minds of those people and they could pass it on to their uh, great, 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 great grandchildren because they would still be alive and still see them. And they would all gather at Grandpa's house for, uh, for Thanksgiving. I don't think they had Thanksgiving. But uh, could you imagine the gathering? If you lived 900 years, I mean, uh, how much family you would have at that time. Boy, you talk about a family gathering. Uh, that would be a big event, all right? And, uh, and so they would pass that information along. And that's what he's saying here is, listen, this is so important. and This is so significant that it needs passed on from generation to generation. Don't neglect that your kids would know what God has done in this event. Now, what is this event that he's talking about? We've looked at all this introduction. Verse number four tells us what the event is. It is the locust. Look with me at verse number four. He says, that which the palmer worm hath left, the locust, or hath the locust eaten, and that which... The locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. And it was an an invasion of locusts that came and absolutely decimated the land. I got to looking that up. I thought that's weird. I mean, uh, uh, just a swarm of locusts. And so I looked that up. I really wanted to get a video and and show it on the screen, but I couldn't. I couldn't find what really what I had envisioned in my mind. Um, I mean, I found some, but I couldn't find something that I really wanted to show. But uh, but you you can look up uh, a swarm of grasshoppers and. It is unbelievable. It, it is quite phenomenal to to, to to watch that. Matter of fact, it's taken place, and you think, oh, that takes place in Africa. That's taken place here in America. Uh, it took place uh, out west. I forget where, if it was Wyoming or Montana. I can't remember out there. Uh, it's t- taken place in um, in Nevada, uh, and, and it's taken place where just swarms of, of these grasshoppers come in, and I read all about it, and it's really it's a phenomenal event, to be honest with you. Now, it's very destructive. It's very bad for, for the environment, but just, uh, or for the crops, rather, and for the people that are raising those crops. But, but just to go out and watch it, and I was watching one, and, and, and they said there was absolutely nothing they could do. And they were talking to one of the lead scientists, and they said, well, what can be done about this problem? And in and, and, and battling these uh, grasshoppers that are taking over everything. And she said, well, there's only one way to take care of it. Winter will come. (laughs) She said, it'll kill them all. There was really nothing you could do. And I was just amazed, uh, you know, that that we live in the highfalutin day of technology and all of our abilities that we tout. And really still God's got a couple over on us that we still can't keep under our thumb and control uh, because he is God. And, and what happened was a swarm of locusts uh, came in. Now, locust is a grasshopper, all right? I looked all that up. And, uh, and then there's even reference in verse number four. And I, I did not dig into this, uh, but uh, if you love biology and science and, and things of that nature, here you go, you can tear into this. But, uh, but the palmer worm uh, was a, a form or a... That's not the right word. A certain stage of the grasshopper in a time of life. That's what I read. And then uh, the locust would be the grasshopper. And then the cankerworm would be yet another form uh, uh, in the time of life of the grasshopper. So it was different stages. So really, it was just an invasion of grasshoppers that completely decimated all the crops. And it was a significant thing. That was the locust that we see in verses 1 through 4. But I want you to see as well the loss that he's going to cover. What took place? What was lost? In verses uh, five, almost down through the end of the chapter, we'll see a lot of areas of loss. Look with me, at verse number five. The first area of loss that we see is obviously the supplies. We read that he said in verse number five, "Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl for ye are for excuse me all ye drinkers of wine." Because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. What is the new wine? It's the grapes that are growing on the vine. That's the new wine. That's where it comes from. And he said, those are cut off. What happened? It was devoured. And, uh, and it's interesting. The first group of people are, that he addresses are the drunkards. And, uh, and he says, listen, wake up. Hey, uh, you know, you need to sober up and realize what is going on. God has always been uh, against drunkenness and drinking. Uh, save your spot here in Joel because it's uh, uh, a little bit difficult to find. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 23. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to I read this. I think it's uh, very beneficial for us to see what God says about drinking. And that is the first crowd that he addresses uh, and says, hey, ye drunkards, wake up. Uh, Look with me in Proverbs chapter 23, in verse number 29. And these are the effects, really, of alcohol and how damaging and dangerous that alcohol can be. Uh, Proverbs 23, in verse number 29, he says this, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? These are all questions that he's asking. He's saying, whoa, that would be sorrow, and sorrow, obviously, and contentions. That would be fighting uh, unnecessarily, and babbling, that would be talking without making sense, and wounds without a cause. In other words, you'd have a sores and you really don't know where they came from, and redness of eyes, that's, uh, all of those are an effect of alcohol. And he goes on in verse number 30, and he says this, these are, these are, this is the answer to all those questions. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Verse 32, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And he goes on and tells more effects, but we'll stop there for, for now. And I've always told people this. Uh, they say, what, what do you think about Alcohol. And I say, I will reply this way. I recommend drinking it like I would recommend playing with a serpent. Don't do it. They're dangerous. I wouldn't recommend playing with a poisonous snake. It says at the end, it bites like an adder, it stings like a serpent. And listen, that's what he's saying is, listen, they're dangerous. Don't play with it. Then don't drink the stuff because it's dangerous. And we see in Joel that he's saying, hey, uh, there is a, uh, he's addressing the drunkards and saying, hey, you need to wake up because there's a serious loss and you're not going to have your alcohol. He goes on in verse number 11. In Joel chapter 1, verse number 11, look at what he's, he's talking about the supply that was lost. The vines were going to be, the vines had been destroyed. Look with me at verse number 11. He said, be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, talking about the vine uh, vine keepers, vine dressers. Howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished the vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sun's of men, and we're talking physically that there was a great loss. I mean, they had lost their vineyards, they had lost their fruit trees, they had lost their grains and the the wheats and all the things of those that had been wiped out by this plague of locusts and grasshoppers, who had destroyed everything. And listen. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if there's no corn growing in the fields, there's no wheat growing in the fields, there's no fruit growing on the trees, there's no uh, grapes growing on the vineyards, how long is it going to be before you don't have food? And it's coming. And he's saying there's a problem that is coming your way because this large amount of locusts had destroyed everything. Look at with me in verse number 9. He says it's not limited to the outside society, but even in the sacrifices. Uh, Verse number nine, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests and the Lord's ministers mourn. And he's saying, listen, if you don't have grain to feed your flocks, you know what's going to happen? They're going to die. If there's no grass for them to go out to pasture in, they're going to die. And when all of that dies, then there's not going to be further sacrifices to be offered in the temple. And so it was a problem uh, that they were looking at. And in verse 12, we can see there as well uh, that their joy is withered away and they'd lost their joy. And so these are the areas of loss. It was a physical supply loss. It was all their crops that they had lost. The sacrifices were not being offered. There was no more joy left in them. And we can see the, those are the areas, but not only that, the armies. Look with me in verse number six. And here's where he gets into a little bit of prophecy. He says, uh, for a nation is come upon my land, strong and without number. Now, he's referring to the physical aspect of the locust that had come and had destroyed the land. But he's using that as a prophetic point to launch forward and say, listen, there's coming a day when the armies will come in and they will wipe out Israel. And he's giving a prophetic reference there. And so he's saying, listen, that's important. Um, and, and you can see the armies that would be coming in verse number six. Uh, and you can see all the loss Uh, that that takes place, go with me to verse number 15, and I want you to see the arrival of the loss. He says in verse number 15, he says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. This is clearly the judgment of God on this country. The, The locusts that have come, uh, was a natural disaster, and God used it as judgment on those people. The, the armies that would come, uh, very possibly many believe it was the Assyrians that would come in and destroy Israel, and that was the reference that it was looking forward to, that Assyrians, uh, when they did come in, was, in fact, we know looking back, a judgment of God on Israel and on her people for falling away from the things of God. And so we can see the locust, we can see that it was a physical event that took place, we can see the loss, that they lost all of them, and that it was a judgment of God. And by the way, on the judgment of God, it's amazing how many natural disasters happen and people refuse to acknowledge God's judgment is taking place. You say, Pastor, what do you, what do you think about all the natural disasters? I don't know. I'm not going to say, well, this one is and this one isn't. I don't know, but I can say this, that God is in control of all that stuff. And any man that thinks that they can control the locusts and the storms and uh, is out of his mind. It's God that's in control of those things. And sometimes God is sending judgment. Sometimes uh, God is doing other things. And I don't always know what exactly God is doing. But I do know this, that God is at work and he's busy. And We need to recognize that. You say, well, that's good. We see the locusts. We see the loss. But lastly, I want you to notice this. And that is the lamenting that they're called for. And really, this is the heart of this chapter. Look with me in verse, uh, verse number 8. He says in verse number eight, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Lament. We find there in verse number eight, there is a command to be sad. They didn't recognize God's judgment. Matter of fact, he called out the drunkards who were ignorant of what was going on. They, they really were in, uh, the, in the bottle and, and, and not concerned with what was going on. And, and listen, God was saying, listen, now is a time to lament. Now is a time to be sad. Now is a time to be upset. And he commanded them saying, hey, you need to lament and be upset about what is going on. Because they weren't. They weren't concerned about it. They were living their life as though, uh, hey, everything would be okay and everything would turn out. And he was telling them, no, things were not okay and things were not all right. I want you to notice there as well, uh, in verse number 8, he says, Lament like a virgin, girded with sackcloth. For the husband of her youth, and I just want to point this out that the clothing of that lamentation was sackcloth. It's a coarse, a dark cloth made of goat's hair, and it was worn by the Jews to show mourning and repentance. And I just want to point this out because though it's a minor point, I believe it's important in the word of God. Listen, uh, so many times we think, well, God doesn't care about this and that. Listen, God put an importance on even what they wore in Bible times. He puts an importance on those things. And and I know that verse is not definitive, but I can tell you this. You go back to the Old Testament priests. God specified exactly what their clothing was to be. And God God cares about what we wear and how we portray ourselves. And he told them to put on uh, their their garment for mourning. Do I think we should all buy sackcloth? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God says it is important what we wear. And he does care about that. Look at the character of the lamenting in verse number 13. Go with me there. He says, gird yourselves and lament ye priests. Howl ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. And the character of the lamenting was, hey, that that you need to be sad and that you need to grieve and that you need to be upset. Matter of fact, I love the way it's worded in verse number eight. He says, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. My initial thought on that was cry like a little girl. That's what I thought. And there's truth, but it's even deeper than that. You look at the illustration that he gives and really mine is almost, you know, sliding over the surface of it. But really there's a a deep amount of sorrow there because look at what he said. He said like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. In other words, uh, somebody, uh, a young lady that is engaged to be married and and she's planning on spending her entire life with this fella and before they ever get married, he says she's a virgin, before they ever get married, that husband passes away. That's the kind of grief that he's calling them to. He's saying, I want you, this is serious. This is something that you need to look at. This is so important for us to grieve. And what is is the grieving that he's talking about? What is this lamenting? Look with me in verse number 14. Joel chapter 1 and verse number 14. He says this, Sanctify ye call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. It was a call for lamenting because of the sin and the judgment of God. Israel had lived so long in their sin. They had separated themselves so far from the commandments of God that finally God said, that is enough. Judgment has to fall. Judgment has to come. And when it did come, they, were, they, were, uh, they, did not, they did not even care. They may have not even recognized that it was judgment from God. And they didn't seem to care that it had taken place. And God is saying, listen, you need to get to a point where you grieve over your sin. It ought to bother you. We don't need to become so insolent over our sins and our errors that it goes to the point of judgment. And then when judgment does take place, that we don't even recognize it's the hand of God and judgment in our life. The time to mourn and the time to grieve is at the moment that sin is recognized in our own lives personally. We need to say, man, I've done something against God. And that's the time we need to grieve. That's the time we need to say, man, I need to step back and I need to get this right. Because I don't want the judgment of God coming. Hey, that's personal level. That's on a congregational level of our church. That's on a national level of our country. Uh, We ought to be grieving not only for our sins personally, uh, but we ought to be grieving for our sins as a congregation. But then lastly, we ought to be grieving about the sins of our nation. Listen, how long till God's judgment comes? I don't know. I really can't tell you. Has God's judgment already come? Well, I think in a couple places and a couple times, yeah, it has. I think natural disasters and some of the things that has taken place, I look back and, 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 and I think, man, that's the hand of God. And am I saying we're doomed as a country? No, I'm saying we need to take sin serious. That's the whole point. Israel did not take sin seriously. They were insolent about it. They didn't care. They, they, they didn't uh, it didn't bother them. And, and they had walked away so far from God that when judgment came, they didn't recognize it as judgment from God. And he asked them, has you ever seen judgment like this in your day? Have you ever seen something so terrible take place? And, and he was asking them to consider it and to think about it because the gravity and the seriousness of what had taken place was so important to him. And God was commanding them, saying, listen, you need to grieve over your sin. We quote that verse in 2, Chron- uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. And, 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 um, and he goes on. But the idea there is, is, how can you turn from your wicked way if you never recognize the sin that's before you? And don't grieve over that. And he's saying, listen, it's important. We need to grieve over our sin. We ought to be sad when we have sin in our life. It ought to bother us. It ought to bother us that we would offend God or go against God's word. We ought not be so... I I don't know the word, not, not conscientious of our own errors, sins, and mistakes in our life. And in our country, and there's plenty in our country. And we need to be sad about those and he proclaimed a fast and prayer. That would be saying, God, I'm going to set aside food and I'm going to pray and I'm going to be serious about seeking your face. And that's a heavy chapter. And I realize that. But that's really the point of his chapter. He's saying, listen, it's a time to lament for our sin. As We stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. There's a seriousness that goes with the word of God that's so important that sometimes we overlook it. We don't like it. But I can promise you we don't like the judgment that comes either. I can assure you that if a swarm of grasshoppers swept through the United States and killed off all our crop and, and destroyed everything and and, and you were starting to say, man, there's not food. You'd have a problem with that. You say, Pastor, it's not that there's a thing of grasshoppers, but there are problems. Well, there are. I'm, I'm, I, I live in the real world like you. I'm aware of the problems that exist. Maybe it's the finger of God, God's judgment on our country. I don't know. But I know this. As believers and as Christians... Number one, you can trust God. I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to leave here being fearful for things to come. But I do want you to leave here serious for God. Father, we pray, as we've looked at this first chapter of Joel, at the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of repentance, the call to repentance and to be be grieved over our own sin. God, may, may we be challenged to draw so much closer to you and to not take the things that you've given us lightly, but to take them seriously. Because, God, they are important. God, I pray that you'd help us to see that in our own lives, in our own church, in our own country. God, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God spoke to your heart, the altar's open. Close.